0: When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Tortoise.
1: Hello, it's Claudia here and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. Last year, my colleague Louise Tickle investigated the phenomenon of women who suffer from domestic abuse who fall to their deaths, often from high-rise buildings. It was an episode of this podcast called Fallen Women, and this week Louise takes that story further. She tells us about the investigation into Shannon Byrne, who fell from the 13th floor of a Bristol tower block in April last year. It is a harrowing story which raises a simple question. When a woman falls out of a window on an estate that's been abandoned by the council, how do you find out what really happened? And who do you believe? Over to Louise. How old are you? For me, I'm ten. 10. 10. How old are you? 13. 13. Thirteen. And how old
2: are
3: you?
1: They're four, same age, 10. And are She's three
4: and a half.
5: It's the middle of summer twenty twenty two and I'm standing beside a tower block in Bristol in the southwest of England. I'm interrupting these children as they're playing. I want to speak to their parents, but the kids flock around the microphone. Many of their families are refugees from East Africa, and somehow they've all ended up here in a sixteen story council block called Lansdowne Court it's not, um,
1: it's not that bad, but
5: and but, it's like, really fun you know, and but at night times
1: it's like bad people They're doing bad stuff on the stairs Smells bad <laughs> Yeah, that's true Yeah, yeah it's so like really well, fun and, and enjoyable what, But sometimes oh. sad, sometimes angry yeah. Sometimes everyone gets into fights
5: A lot happens in this tower block 270 people live here But I've come today for a very particular reason
1: So people, they burn our flat You can see up there, they burnt it a little bit
3: How did they do I have no idea.
1: Where, where, where? i never seen it. On the top floor. And on the window, some lady fell out a couple months ago. Yeah. It was on the news.
4: Yeah.
1: And And, yeah, she died. What do you think? Yeah.
5: That woman's name was Shannon Byrne. She was 25 when she fell from the 13th floor of Lansdowne Court last year. She died where she fell, on a small, scruffy patch of grass, a next-door neighbour's garden.
3: My daughter came into my room at half-twelve and then she said she heard screams, like screams. He was saying, she fell, she fell.
2: I was like, wait, no, it's the 13th floor. No, No, this happens in films, it's not happening here.
5: Around half the residents of Lansdowne Court are council tenants, meaning they pay a heavily discounted rent. And although some were in bed when Shannon fell in the early hours of the morning, many others were up. Some of them heard raised voices coming from the flat. And then they heard the fall. I called
6: the police, I called the ambulance, OK, and I was arrested for murder.
5: Flat 106 was rented to Shannon's boyfriend, a man called Stuart Roberts he was immediately arrested on suspicion of murder and questioned for 36 hours before being released. Presumably, if somebody is thrown out of a window or pushed, there's no weapon, there's no blood, there's, there's not necessarily been, you know, a ruckus. It might just be an empty room. When I first heard about Shannon's death, I had just published another investigation called Fallen Women, about victims of domestic abuse who fall to their deaths from high buildings, remarkably often. That investigation showed a pattern. Falls happening at home. Quite often, a man arrested at the scene. Neighbours who said they'd heard an argument, sometimes screaming right up to the moment the woman fell. And people who later came forward to say the boyfriend was abusive And the woman was scared. In that investigation, we discovered that even when a man was arrested, it was rare for anyone to be charged, let alone convicted. In that sense, it can be a difficult crime to evidence, similar to rape, where it's one person's word against another. Only, in this case, a woman is dead. So when I started looking into Shannon's death, her story fitted a pattern.
3: You could clearly see marks. There was a mark across her cheek and there were scratches on the top of her arms.
5: I'm Louise Tickle. You're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise, and this is After the Fall, a death on the Lansdowne estate. When I last investigated women falling, I discovered that many of them do so on housing estates. They're often poor... And we know that women in households with low incomes are much more likely to experience domestic abuse. I wanted to understand the links in these cases. And so, after nearly a year of reporting, speaking to residents and police, this is the story of what happens when a woman falls from a tower block on an estate that has been abandoned by the council. Lansdowne Court is just a few minutes' drive from central Bristol. From a distance, it's grey, anonymous, unremarkable. But the closer you get, the more you can see its flaws, especially in the bright summer light. I see a deep charcoal burn mark outside one of the windows, and there's a hot stench coming from an overflowing bin stool. Children play on the concrete forecourt next to the car park. All right, let's just go and have a look where she fell. The yard where Shannon Byrne died is near the back entrance of Lansdowne Court. It belongs to a maisonette in the neighbouring low-rise block and I was told someone might have been living there when Shannon fell, but I can't be sure. It's been two months since she died and I've been here several times since. No-one's ever answered the door. It does feel a bit weird being in someone's garden. The wooden fence around the yard is broken. It looks like a plank was wrenched away by emergency services trying to get access. I step in. It doesn't look to me like anything's been done to clear it up. There's rotting flowers, bouquets of flowers that have just been left there. There's splintered wood, a plank just kind of lying here with nails sticking out. Which I think is where she fell, from what we've been told. God, can you imagine ending your life here? It's just so sad. When I first heard about Shannon's death, I immediately wanted to know, who was she? How did she end up in Lansdowne Court, and then here, on this patch of grass... I teamed up with the local newspaper, the Bristol Cable, early on, but even with their on-the-ground knowledge, it's been unusually difficult to discover more about this woman who died in such a terrible way. She had no social media I could find, or maybe police had advised her family to take it down. The friends of hers, my producer Patricia located, didn't reply to messages. In one photograph we could find online, of her in her teens, Shannon looked smiley, rosy-cheeked, happy.
6: I know I'm living 11th um, floor, 11. and my window there and Shannon's window oh. there and then once she turn, we didn't see, but when we see there, we see them body.
1: Oh.
5: Back in Lansdowne, residents going in and out of the tower block tell me they knew her, sort of. She'd only been around for a few months. People saw her in the lobby and in the lift. But most of the tower's residents only really had contact with Stuart, her boyfriend. Look, there's medical gloves, they were here last time. And here, in this scruffy, unkempt garden, it just feels like everyone has moved on. The blue medical gloves used by the emergency workers are still scattered around, buried under weeds and rotting flowers. <laughs> I've come to meet Jess on the sixth floor of Lansdowne Court. She lives here in a two bedroom flat with her teenage daughter Tiggs. Their kitchen window faces directly out onto the garden where Shannon died. Uh, right.
3: So that's that's the actual garden that she was in.
5: I met Jess at an event I hosted with the Bristol Cable. We wanted to meet residents who might have information about what happened to Shannon that night in April. Jess tells me that Shannon hadn't been living in the tower block for long, perhaps a few months, and she didn't know her very well.
3: I would say I saw her maybe 15, 16 times before. It wasn't her flat, um... So it wasn't very much. The times that I'd seen her, she was always really lovely. She always said hi. And they, they have a dog that I love. He was really, really sweet dog. And she'd always let me have a stroke and whatever when she was taking him
5: out. Although um, they never spoke much, never Jess started to feel uneasy about Shannon's relationship with Stuart.
3: I knew that she was obviously involved with somebody who she shouldn't be, Um I would don't. I wouldn't necessarily say that um, it was all abusive, one-sided. I'd say it's very toxic. Their relationship, like multiple relationships in he, in the building. Um,
5: She's speaking from experience here. Say- Jess ended up in Lansdowne because she was fleeing an abusive relationship. When did you decide that you were going to
3: leave? I decided I was going to leave mainly because. I I woke up one day and thought, if if I stay with you, you're gonna kill me. You're going to kill me, and I don't want to be a statistic.
5: Jess was 22 years old at the time, and her daughter was just a toddler. I
3: was like, I'm just gonna. It's gonna have to happen. I know that if I die, what happens to my daughter? What will he do to her if I'm not there?
5: She didn't manage to leave straight away. Victims of domestic abuse rarely can. When she tried, and as these stories so often go, her partner only became more violent. At one point, he threatened to kill her. After a couple of stopgap solutions in emergency accommodation, the council sent her to Lansdowne. At first... It felt like a sanctuary.
3: So the first maybe two years, it was actually quite nice. We built up some really, really lovely friendships. um, And there's quite a lot of the ladies that look out for you.
5: But that feeling didn't last.
3: Drugs mainly. Uh, Then you've also got the screaming and shouting at night, consistently, every night. There's quite a lot of substance abuse. Um, You've got... You know, we found needles, used dirty needles in the lifts, human faeces on the stairs, multiple times. Um, On Christmas Day, a couple of years ago, there was a guy um, and he, I was going down to meet my family to bring them upstairs and he was just pissing <laughs> in the lift.
5: In a way, Jess is understating the problems at Lansdowne. Several people have told me about a paedophile who abused children in the laundry room and one resident described getting in the lift with a neighbour one morning who, it later turned out, had just stabbed someone to death. There have been assaults, fires, fights, drugs. Pretty much everyone we've spoken to wants to leave.
3: Obviously, we were told that there's sex offenders and stuff that live in the building. They give you a whole, like, rundown of who potentially lives in the building. And he basically said to me, um, you know, just, you'll know who they are. Just be careful. And I was like, I don't want to know any of this. But hang on. So the
5: council told you Mm -hmm. when you moved in here with your seven-year-old daughter that there were sex offenders in the building and at least one murderer. Yeah. Yeah, what out on license or they—they've
3: done their time, right? They've done their time.
5: It seems that everyone here is, in one way or another, escaping from danger or wanting to flee. Jess says there are many other women like her in the building, women who have run from abuse, but also women who are being abused, women like Shannon.
3: when i see somebody that i know like is being abused or i can tell because i know the signs it just it hurts a lot uh, with shannon like it really hurt because you you know it could be you so <laughs> i don't need <mean> to cry <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's hard
5: In the 12 months to July last year, the police were called to Lansdowne more than once a week. And since 2008, there have been 85 domestic abuse crimes here. That's six serious incidents a year. And those are only the ones reported to the police. Residents have nowhere to go to escape the violence. Bristol's housing waiting list now sits at around 18,000 households. And the very first words you'll read about social housing on the council's website give a warning. It's very unlikely that you'll be offered a council property, it says. Even people with the greatest need often wait several years. They're not wrong. Just 9% of households on the waiting list got accommodation in 2022. We approached Bristol Council for an interview multiple times. They said they were facing a difficult diary challenge and never responded to our questions. What all this means is people are trapped and lansdowne residents told me they were sure someone would die they just didn't know who or when
2: my name is zizi i'm 24 years old and i live in lansdowne court on the 14th floor
5: zizi that's not her real name lives in lansdowne court with her two dogs like Jess, she arrived there after escaping an abusive relationship. What state were you in when you arrived here, would you say, emotionally?
2: Dead. <laughs> I think that's... Um, I still struggle with that, so it's... Um, anything that I loved previously...
5: Um, ..never really came back. We're speaking in the little kitchen off the community room because her puppy is running around her flat, barking excitedly. Zizi lives one floor above Stuart Roberts, just one flat along. How long had you been living here at Lansdowne Court before Shannon Byrne fell to her death? Already, like, a year and a bit. And like, did you know her? Yeah. Like, we would talk,
2: like, here and there. Um, I could... I didn't know too much about the relationship, but I knew that we had something in common. How, because, how did you know that? Um, so, like, I understand that they did drugs or they had mental health. That's what I had gathered. But I also know that mental health and drugs don't match. Um, so when they were on the good days, they were fine. They were, like, both of them were fine. But when one of them was having an off day, Shannon was either really, like, OK, I'm, like, having to... Be careful around and I. Be careful around him? Yeah. And would she say
5: that to you? She would not say it, but it was her actions. Zizi was at home on the night Shannon fell, and she says that something felt off that night. Jess had seen Shannon and Stuart in the morning. She remembers feeling uneasy too. She says Shannon was in a state.
3: Downstairs in the lobby, uh, she was... Um, really distressed. He was shouting at her. Uh, she was trying to hide her face and and stuff. They were obviously taking the dog out and they were having an argument. She just kind of wandered off off and was screaming and shouting.
5: And what did you see in terms of why was she hiding her face?
3: You could clearly see marks. There was a mark across her cheek... Um, and there were scratches on the top of her arms because she would she didn't really she didn't ever really wear her jacket up. So she had obviously had a bit of a heavy night. I, I would say, you know, she wasn't one to shy away from a party. A lot of the times I saw her in the mornings when I'm going to work, she didn't look. <laughs> she looked she looked a little bit hungover, like she was having a bit of a bad morning. But then she would always say hi.
5: She was always quite pleasant. But was that morning you hadn't seen her like that before?
3: I hadn't seen her as distressed as she was, no.
5: Jess couldn't hear what they were talking about. She says she just put her headphones in and walked away. Zizi also says there was an argument between Stuart and Shannon, another one that happened much later on. On that particular day, it it was, they were just arguing weird. It was not how they usually argue. She can't remember the exact time they started shouting. She recalls it as being close to midnight, though. Was your
2: window open? Yeah, I keep my window open. And was their window open?
5: Yeah, okay.
2: but their wind I keep my lock, but they keep theirs wide open. OK. Um, And I remember it was just very assertive, very, like... For me, it was like, something's going to happen, it's not a simple argument, like, OK... You can, like, say all the swear words you want and everything, and then you say you're sorry and whatnot, or you might throw some plates. It didn't sound like that. It sounded like something big was going to happen.
5: What made you think that?
2: Because I remember when I was getting shouted at, and it was that that tone, I can't really explain it, but it's that tone where you know, even
5: if you haven't done anything wrong, you're going to get something. Zizi was drifting in and out of sleep. And she thought, for a moment, that Stuart might be in her house, it was that loud. So she got up and turned on the light.
2: I heard, Shannon, don't mess with me, don't mess with me, Shannon, Shannon, and then I was like, it took a while, I was like, wait, she's out the window. It was her that fell. That sounded like the window shutting. But it took me a while, so I was like, wait, No. It's a thirteenth floor. No, no. This happens in no. This happens in films. It's not happening here. And then I ran from my bedroom into the living room. I opened my window, and I can see his head. And I look, and I'm like, "That's not. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. That's not what it is."
5: When you said you heard the slam, mm-hmm. was it like? A, 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 was it very loud? It was like as if you were to slam the window. Right, but there was.
2: No her, like, the sound, like, she no, sh- like, crying. No, no, also, like, struggle sound. Well, no, Not struggle sound, like, you know, if you're falling, no scream. That's it, no scream. There was no scream? No scream, nothing. And you, all you heard was arguing, and that him, how he was talking to her, me thinking it's,
5: they've sat the window, but it's her landing, and that was it. And that was just dead silence after that. I've heard all sorts of unconfirmed rumours about Shannon and about Stuart. And in tower blocks like Lansdowne, gossip runs rife. It's clear to me that many residents believe Stuart pushed Shannon out of the window. But the police investigated for seven months and didn't find evidence to charge him. Stuart is no longer under investigation.
7: The surrounding circumstances of this particular case... And the background of the two individuals left us feeling, at first, uneasy about the circumstances and how Shannon came to come out of the window um, and ultimately fall to her death.
5: Detective Chief Inspector Simon Dufall is a senior investigating officer at Avon and Somerset Police. He led the inquiry into Shannon's death. Stuart, we're told, phoned the police as soon as Shannon fell. Presumably, you know, if somebody is thrown out of a window mm. or pushed, there's no weapon, there's mm. no blood, there's, there's not necessarily been, you know, a ruckus. No. That it, it might just be an empty room.
7: Yeah, and, and that, that, that's one of the challenges that I was faced with is the, um, as the Senior Investigating Officer for this, is to really try and to understand the two hypotheses that I developed was, one, was Shannon pushed um, from the window? And two, the second hypothesis, is did she jump or did she fall accidentally out the window?
5: I know that those first few minutes are vital... It's when police decide how to treat a sudden death and will collect crucial evidence if they think they're at the scene of a potential crime.
7: It was really um, interesting, really, to put yourself in that position. We, we spent, a, you know, two days as a team going through that, really asking ourselves the question, if I was the suspect, how could I push... Lift um, Shannon out of that window um, in the time that was available and with the evidence that was left at the scene and it was quite a tidy scene that we were faced with.
5: Could um, you describe the flat? The
7: flat was very messy, very unkept, very untidy. Um, but there was, an, there was no sign of disturbance whatsoever and that really caused us to scratch our heads as a team, if I'm honest. We, we looked at the, the, for the physical presentation of the scene we looked at evidence around the windows so of any evidence of a grab, of struggle, any torn clothing or fibers that might have, might have left a clue as to someone not going out of that window uh, willingly.
5: Detective Chief Inspector Dufour called the scene "tidy." He means the police saw no evidence of a physical altercation. He explains that officers observed a sofa under the window which someone would have had to climb up onto in order to push a victim out. And he tells me about investigating the possible body mechanics. That's when the police try to figure out how people might have moved around the scene. I'm really interested in the trajectory of
4: Mm.
0: how she fell. Yeah,
5: Because my understanding is that she fell in the little garden, Yeah, which is a good metre, maybe a metre and a half, away from... Mm. It's not where you would fall directly downwards from a window. Did you work out? how that could have happened?
7: So we did speak to a fall expert, actually, um, and asked for some, could that person interpret the scene for us in a way that would say, if you landed X number of feet away from a building versus Y number of feet, could that indicate how? And and the answer that came back was, they uh, not with any degree of confidence.
5: It's not like in a police detective show, where you can measure with certainty the angle and impact of a fall. But even without that... DCI Dewfall says there was no other physical evidence to suggest that Stuart pushed Shannon. But they did arrest him that night and kept him under investigation even when he'd been released on police bail. Had there been any previous incidents between the man you arrested and Shannon that led you to feel that there was something potentially worrying going on there?
7: Um, Yes, so that was part of the rationale for why we we were initially suspicious, um, the background to their case. There had been an incident um, earlier on in the evening where police had been called, um, and I think overlaying all those different bits of information led us to suspect, actually, was there foul play involved in this.
5: You'll notice that the police are restricted in terms of what they can say here. I know that it was Stuart who was arrested that night and they know perfectly well that I know, but they won't use his name. The inquest into Shannon's death still hasn't happened and the police don't want to prejudice the coroner's findings. They mention another police call-out involving Shannon and one other person earlier on the day she died. They're cagey about what happened and won't say who that was. But they do say that it led them to suspect foul play. Simon Dewfall explains in some detail the scope of their investigation. There were door-to-door inquiries, toxicology reports, CCTV was examined, multiple witness statements taken, all information cross-checked. But I keep thinking about that day, about Jess's account of the fight... About Zizi hearing raised voices just before the fall. What did you think of the evidence that there was a, a loud argument happening just before the fall?
7: So we've got various witnesses who describe the um, the, the the noises that were coming from that flat, um, and um, we've. Uh, Three people um, will say what they heard and, in many cases, what they saw looking up at the window. Um, So there was clearly um, the sound of loud voices. Um,
5: Did anybody see anything?
7: Yes. And I I, I, I can't really go any further than that.
5: Frustratingly, DCI Dewfall won't go into the details but clearly he had at least one witness who saw something that was key evidence in their investigation. He explains that he eventually presented his findings to the Crown Prosecution Service, the CPS.
7: I had to reach a decision ultimately on, did um, the suspect push her out of the window? Was there evidence to meet the charging threshold to then allow us to go to the CPS? The answer to that was no.
5: What about the other hypothesis that she... Jumped or fell to her death. Was there anything in your investigation that supported his account that she had voluntarily jumped out of the window? Yes.
0: Cool fact.
5: Stuart Roberts, Shannon's boyfriend, had not been named publicly when I came across this story. But Sean Morrison, the Bristol Cable reporter who I was working with, had worked out who he was. The residents I spoke to all told me about Stuart too. They knew it was his flat Shannon had fallen from and that he'd been arrested. And like Jess and ZZ, many of them said he was volatile, erratic, abusive. It's fair to say that many of them felt scared of him. But I really wanted to hear from Stuart myself. He was the only other person there when Shannon fell. And this is the tricky bit about this sort of investigation you can upset people. I contacted friends of Stuart's via Facebook, asking if they might pass on a message that I'd like to speak to him. And then his mum started getting calls. She rang me, angry and upset. His sister got in touch. She said she understood why I was trying to contact Stuart, but please could I stop messaging people? But then, suddenly, one of Stuart's friends called and some weeks later, with his permission, gave me his number. Hi, Stuart, it's Louise. Thank you ever so much for letting me have your number. We agreed to meet in Bristol later that month. I had a picture of Stuart in my mind before going to meet him that day almost a caricature of an angry, isolated man. He had pet snakes, a stout and barky dog. He hit walls. But in person, he was just a man. Troubled, yes, but also a little subdued. We can take it really slowly and really easily, but this is your chance to tell people what happened from your point of view.
6: I was the only one that was there. You know, and obviously, if I did anything, I wouldn't be sat here talking to you now.
5: We met him outside Bristol Temple Mead station. He'd said he was homeless, but I could tell he'd made an effort that day. He had a short, tidy haircut and freshly laundered jeans. It was warm and he was wearing a T-shirt, which meant that the tattoos on his forearms were on full display. The newest one spelled out Shannon's name, along with the day she died. The date is off, I notice, by two days. It doesn't match the news reports or the police accounts. Shannon died in the early hours of April the 19th, but Stuart brushes that off when I point it out. He says it's how he remembers it. As we get talking in a cafe, he tells me about Shannon. They met at a hospital when Stuart was in for blood poisoning. Shannon was there visiting a friend. Stuart says he could tell she was vulnerable. It's what drew him to her. He says he wanted to protect her.
6: We just fell in love, playing and fucking cymbal, do you know what I mean? We fell in love. And bearing in mind that I'm 43, she died at 25, so, you know, to me, it was a blessing that I had some beautiful, absolutely fucking stunning, beautiful young lady wanting to spend time with me, not just because she needed somewhere to live, because she's capable of living anywhere and everywhere.
5: They hadn't been together for long, but Shannon moved into his flat in Lansdowne Court soon after they'd met. Stuart says they were happy. He admits that they fought sometimes, but he disputes any claims of violence or domestic abuse.
4: To be
6: in a normal human relationship, yeah, is to become a bit angry now and then, because you love that person. Do you know what I mean? If a normal human relationship is sit there quietly and don't make a noise, then go crack on with your normal human relationship.
5: Stuart's description of Shannon is the only one I hear in any real detail. Over the months, I keep visiting Lansdowne Court. It strikes me that nobody there knew her well. I went to the Wetherspoons in Bristol where she worked, but her colleague wouldn't speak. Although she confirmed Shannon turned up with a black eye on one occasion. The friends we contacted never replied. Shannon's family, through the police, said they didn't want to talk. So apart from that old photo I find on Facebook, Stuart's memories provide the only sense I have of Shannon. It feels like I can only catch a flicker of who she was. When I ask Stuart what happened on Shannon's final day, his account is very different from Zizi's and Jess's. He insists there was no fight in the morning or any argument in the moments before she fell.
6: We went out shopping, OK? I bought her a new khaki dress. Um, she had some, some, some tights or stockings and she looked gorgeous, she looked beautiful. And... You know, we'd we'd been out shopping, went to New Look. I don't go in New Look. I'm a man, I'm not going in New Look. I waited outside my dog. And I I said, get yourself something. And we went to a few shops that day. We bought some clothes. Well, I bought some stuff for her. Um, She bought food for me.
5: Sounds like you'd had a happy day.
6: We had happy days. Every day was happy. Every day was happy. oh, well, no, I'm lying. I'm lying. Every day felt happy, but we're humans. So some days are shitter than others. It rolled up to just before 11pm. I had my dog with me. My dog comes everywhere with me. I give him my bank card and my wallet. I said, get a taxi home. I had the dog. I can't take the dog in a taxi. Okay, so I, I said, I can walk from here to Eastern. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I got home. Shannon wasn't home. Okay, she should have been home before me because I waited for the taxi to turn up. Bearing in mind, she's got her new clothes on. She's she's looking gorgeous, again, she's beautiful anyway. And I got home and I took my clothes off and I'm laying on the sofa, the television's on. I'm in my boxer shorts, put a bath bomb in the bath bath that she bought for me that day. I don't use bath bombs, but I thought, fuck it. Let's just do a bath bomb. And the baths run and I'm thinking, where's Shannon? Where's Shannon? I'm not worrying, I'm trying to phone her. She's not one to answer her phone. You know, if she wants to talk to you, she'll phone you and say, right. You know, so I'm sort of laying there. I'm in my boxer shorts, I'm on my sofa. I'm, I'm, I'm 13 stories up. You know, it's a 16-story block of flats. So count four down, I'm more or less at the top. And the leather sofa I had, well, have... In my, in my flat, it, it's an L-shaped leather sofa, which backs up to the window. She come in, she said, "I'm sick of the world. I'm sick of the people in it." And she she got on the, like, the, she got on the sofa. the window just and she just jumped.
5: The windows in the Lansdowne flats are high above waist level for me. Stuart says Shannon climbed on the sofa and launched herself out of the window. He says he tried to save her, grabbing her by the hand and foot. And then, right in the middle of the cafe, he stands up and says he'll show me. He steps over the microphone and takes my wrist and ankle in his hands.
6: I don't know, I wasn't there. But she started to go to counselling and I think it opened Pandora's box... And it just got too much.
5: Were you angry with her that night because she wasn't...
6: There? No, no. no. I was, the, the only noise that came from my house that night is me saying you're going to die if you drop and I can't hold you.
5: When Stuart was arrested and questioned, he gave police a short, prepared statement and after that said, no comment. He was eventually released with the assistance of his solicitor, who, Stuart tells me proudly, also represented the Gloucester serial killer Fred West. Since he lost Shannon, he says, life has collapsed around him. He doesn't know how to live without her, doesn't want to go back to Lansdowne, doesn't know where he'll be next week or even what he'll have for lunch today. He says prison would be a relief. In fact, just as we're about to leave, he tells me he's so used to being inside that prison is his normal. And what about your family?
6: They are all in London... I haven't seen my family for fucking nearly 15 years. Keep asking them why I was taken away from my family, they won't tell me.
4: So away from your when, when I was 12. Were you in
6: Yeah. I went to Shawcroft's a girl unit in Kent, just off Crook and Hill Road, St. Harry was And from then, I just didn't have a family. Do you know what I mean?
5: Did they ever come
6: and see you? No. They dropped me off there. <laughs>
5: They'll secure unit? Yeah. And then you
6: don't see them after that? No. Yeah. no but that when but I've got my mum's number, but when I speak to her and say, like, what happened? Like, happened? Out of me and five siblings, like, I don't say siblings, because she's in East London, but like, me and my five brothers and sisters, I'm in the middle. Yeah. I've got Callie, Marcel, who's dead now, Aaron, who's older, Nathan, who's younger. And I'm like, what the fuck was on with me? Like,
5: it's hard to know what I mean, to say.
6: Um, Shannon decided to do what she wanted to do. She didn't hesitate doing it. As sad as it is, as hurtful as it is, um, if she didn't want to do it, she wouldn't have done it. She obviously had some shit going on inside herself that she didn't let anyone else know about. And I'll see you again,
4: man.
6: i I'll, I'll be back with her soon. You know what I
5: mean. The inquest into Shannon's death is still to come. I keep checking, but it's ten months on and there's no date for it yet. The coroner will look at what evidence exists to reach a conclusion about why Shannon died. There are a range of options... Suicide, accident, unlawful killing. Or she could give a narrative verdict or an open one where no firm conclusion as to the cause of death can be drawn. What the man who arrested told us Mm. was that Shannon came back from a day's shopping with him. They'd had a really happy day. Yeah. Uh, Came back to his flat, walked in very upset. Mm while he was waiting to take a bath,
1: Mm.
5: climbed over him, leapt out of the window
1: Mm.
5: and jumped out of the 13th floor. Mm. Does that sound plausible
7: to you? Yes.
5: What makes you say that?
7: Just that the evidence is available to us would, yeah, is... Yeah.
5: The police investigation is over after seven months of testing different hypotheses. Despite how things may have looked at the start, the major crime team challenged their own preconceptions. Ultimately, DCI Simon Dufall told us, he had to go on the evidence. And the evidence did not support the theory that Shannon had been pushed. Of course, it's possible to see Stuart as a violent man. His neighbours clearly did. They were frightened of him. You can also see him as just another desperate resident of Lansdowne, this estate full of people in a prison without bars. And two or three or more things can be true at once. Even if he didn't push her, this was a complex, vulnerable woman embroiled in an abusive relationship, in a place where the violent and the vulnerable are trapped together with no way out. How has this whole situation affected you?
2: Um, it made me feel like I wish it was me, not her. For, like, a long time. Um. Why? I guess I was just that unhappy, and I just felt like it it shouldn't have been her. I guess people around, it just, they moved on. And I don't know if it's me, I... I care. I cared about her, and it's just... The fact of, well I'm never going to see you again, like, I'm not going to have, like, a conversation with you in the lift again. I feel like she could have got out of it, she could have, you know, gone to, like, a better place kind of thing. Like, she could have moved out, she could have
5: started her own life kind of thing. Zizi says Shannon could have got out, but she couldn't really. Even Jess, who has worked her way into a really good job, feels completely stuck. Is there any option of the council moving you? Uh,
3: I don't know. I don't know, they've never said anything. They told us that we would be rebanded to band two, but nothing. Literally radio silence, there's nothing at all.
5: I can't imagine things in Lansdowne Court getting better right now. People I spoke to were still reeling from being shut in overcrowded flats during the pandemic. Now there are soaring energy costs, higher prices and private rents in Bristol are stratospheric. Do you think that you will always live here or do you intend to move?
3: I'd love to move. We've been joking around that we're going to manifest to win the lottery to move out. That's what we're doing. (laughs) We're making a mood board for it, and a manifestation board.
5: That's what it is, a lottery. Ending up in Lansdowne and getting out. This story was reported by me, Louise Tickle, and produced by Patricia Clarke. Additional production was by Gemma Newby. The sound design was by Carla Patella, and the editor was Basha Cummings. This podcast was made in collaboration with The Bristol Cable, who will be publishing their investigation this week. You can read their coverage at thebristolcable.org. If you have been affected by the issues raised in this podcast, you can contact the charities Women's Aid and Refuge.
1: Thanks for listening. To access more of our journalism and invites to exclusive events, join Tortoise as a member. Visit tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use the code SLOW60 for a special offer today. That's S-L-O-W-6-0.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods
4: That's stamps.com. Code program. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job. And we have to find out who did they kill? If it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern. And this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.